Hello everyone and welcome back to the Underground Mess Hall, Finn McHale here. I know that I'm starting this relatively late, but we're going to start reviewing the Book of Boba Fett and today we're going to review the first episode, Chapter 1, Stranger in a Strange Land. Now, when we get to it, the discussion piece of this episode is going to be more focused on the discussion around the first episode. And what I mean by that is articles and comments that I've seen discussing the first episode and their thoughts on it. And also a spoiler warning as I'm going to be talking about the episode and the events that occur themselves within the episode. So, you've been warned. To start this off, I actually really enjoyed the first episode. Even though it's only 38 minutes long, it helps to establish and answer some major questions that were raised when Boba Fett showed up in The Mandalorian. We see that Boba escapes the Sarlacc pit in this episode, and while we don't see him do more than refill his oxygen tank from a dead stormtrooper's armor and ignite his flamethrower into the Sarlacc, we're presented with the knowledge that his armor helped him escape. Another major question that gets answered is how he lost his armor. We see that after he escapes the Sarlacc, he passed out and then later was encountered by Jawas who stole his armor. We know that Cobb Vanth from the Mandalorian says that he bought the armor from some Jawas, so it's safe to assume that these are the same ones. Now, while Cobb isn't necessarily a distrustful character, especially when we get to learn more about him in Chapter 9, The Marshal in The Mandalorian, it's nice to see that we're now having the internal consistency of, oh no, we're going to show you the Jawas stole it, and boom, instant connection. That's how the armor gets from point A to point B, which I really, really like it when shows and just combined universes, well, not combined, but interconnected universes show this. Now, while these questions get answered, there is one or two left depending on how you look at it. And these are probably going to be answered throughout the first season as we're going to find out how Boba Fett received the Tusken Battle Staff, which looks remarkably similar to the one owned by the Tusken who battled him when he tried to escape after getting captured by them. We also see him develop his scars that we see with him in The Mandalorian after having been captured and beaten by the Tuskens. I really think you could just combine this under one umbrella term of, hey, the Tusken events with Boba Fett. So... Maybe we'll just refer to it as that, the, the Tuscan era or events for Boba. Now, all of these events and scenes I just described to you are flashbacks that we find out are memories that Boba is dealing with while he's in a healing pod. We see that a lot of his scars have either gone or faded, as well as his natural skin tone not being kind of pale and pasty anymore, like he was in The Mandalorian, as a result of finally having this healing pod. This implies to me that he's actually suffered more injuries and defeats than we've seen and have kind of been told that has occurred to him. And that he's a much more, I don't want to say battered, but he's a much more battle-hardened person because he's gone through a lot more trials. At the same time, he's taken Jabba's palace for himself, and he's a new crime lord or daimyo, and is receiving tributes with Fennec Shan as his right hand and master assassin. Quick side note too while I'm here. We also find that two of Jabba's Gamorrean guards survived the events of Return of the Jedi. They're captured and Fennec suggests to Boba to kill them, yet Boba notes that the kind of loyalty these guards have is really hard to come by. So he offers them a chance to become his loyal guards, which they accept. So good on the guards. The last tribute, at least in this scene that I want to talk about is, and it's the only one I actually really want to talk about, is the one that comes from the new Mira Mos Espa, Mokshai's, or rather his major domo slash lieutenant mayor. He doesn't offer any real tribute other than, you know, the mayor's graciousness. 
Yet Boba decides to spare him as we find out he's going to try to rule differently than Jabba, much to Fennec's chagrin. We see this get fleshed out more as Boba, Fennec, and the Gamorrean guards travel to Sanctuary, a cantina in Mos Espa, in order to start reclaiming Jabba's old holdings and stomping grounds. Fennec says that he should have used the litter or be carried through the town like Jabba did while they're walking, yet Boba replies saying that Jabba ruled with fear and he intends to rule with respect, and this is why he's chosen to walk everywhere, because he wants to be seen as equal even though he has got all this power that he wants to use. Which is really interesting, especially with Star Wars and how Tatooine and Mos Espa works. As it's a much more power dynamic that's more on the side of you have your power and you use it and you make sure that you scare everyone. So Boba's really shaking up the system here. When they get to Sanctuary, we do get a really cool cameo of Max Rebo playing in the cantina. He's a little blue elephant alien. And if that description sounds familiar, you're getting an image of like Fampy or something like that. If you remember Return of the Jedi, the band that was playing in Jabba's Palace is the Max Rebo band. And that's what I think is really cool is he was actually able to survive <laughs> what happens in Return of the Jedi. We also meet a new character, Garza Fwip. This is an olive-skinned female Twi'lek who runs an own sanctuary. And she's very up and up, and I think she kind of lends more towards what Boba wants to do because she doesn't fight with him. She's just like, oh, you're coming to take Jabba's old holdings. Oh, and you decide to walk here. Okay, cool. You know, and so she basically is like, you're always welcome here, Boba, and you're met. And that was a successful reclaiming of Sanctuary. However, on the way back from Sanctuary, Boba and Fennec get ambushed by some crimson-garmed men with some energy shields and spikes. Now, they're able to fight him off. However, Boba takes a beating and he's taken back to his healing pod by the Gamorrean guards who show up just in time. Now, at the same time, Fennec is able to capture one alive after and while Boba's being taken to the healing pod in order to question him. I believe Boba actually explicitly tells her to keep one alive in order to ask what happened or happened. And this is where I think it really shows how affected Boba Fett has been due to injuries in his journey after escaping the Sarlacc. Normally, he'd have been able to take them all out. But the blows from the energy spikes and the pain he's suffering, at least what were shown really shows us that he's not 100% still. Now, he's still scary to deal with, as shown that, like, even while he was taking these hits, you know, he was fighting back, and these these Crimson Men were like, holy cow, you know, what's going on? But on to the end of the episode, where, while Boba's in the healing pod, he remembers when he's taken out into the desert by one of the Tuscans, and it's, like, the adolescent, the child one, and they're out there to collect these, like, little gourds of where they can drink water, and they get attacked by the sand creature. He's got like six arms and whatever. And at the same time, a quick side note, when he does get captured, there's a Rodian prisoner too. He gets killed by this creature. Now, he saves the Tuscan child by strangling it with his chain that the Tuscan child has on him and the Rodian. The Rodian unfortunately dies. Now, they get back to the village and Boba lets him take all the credit because... He doesn't want to shake things up and he wants to live, obviously. But the elder and the leader recognizes what's going on. And so he gives a water gourd to Boba quietly, recognizing him and thanking him. This kind of leads me to believe that he's either going to become part of this tribe or he's going to get some kind of training from them and he gets humbled. 
it's obvious that the desert is humbling him in a way, and the Tuscans are showing them how they're humbled and how their culture is humbled by living in the desert. And so the more we explore this flashback and like the Tuscan events and Tuscan era of Boba Fett, it might explain how he mellowed into being an honorable crime lord as opposed to having been a nefarious villain. So to quickly summarize, you know, we get some major questions answered, you know, how do you get the scars? How does armor get stolen? How do you escape the Sarlacc pit? Now, the longer form answers and the answers that are going to take longer to answer are, well, how do you get the staff? I think we're going to find that out pretty soon in the next couple episodes. And the scars, we have already shown how they're being developed, you know, from being in the Sarlacc and in the sand and whatnot. We also get to see that He's trying to shake up the system, and I think the Tuscan flashbacks are going to show us, okay, what did he experience there, and does that potentially lead into him being humbled and wanting to rule with respect? I think we're going to find that out, and I think that's the through lines that we're finding. Now, I want to discuss the discussion around the first episode. So a lot of people find this negative, at least this first episode, and I don't understand why. As I've just discussed, the setups from The Mandalorian get paid off in this first episode. We also get payoffs in, okay, how do you escape the Sarlacc? But there's also other payoffs that are being slowly drip-fed to us, such as the staff and what's the deal with the Tuscans, which leads into new storylines which are going to indicate the character growth of, okay, so Boba Fett appears, at least this is just my assumption, but it appears he's being humbled and the Tuscans are going to humble him in some certain way. And so, okay, we got really cool new character growth. Maybe Fennec will show up at some point in one of these flashbacks. I don't know. Some of the issues, apparently, that people have are, like, logistics issues. Like, for example, with the Sarlacc Pit, I've seen an article where they had an issue with how, oh, all he does is get a little pick-me-up of oxygen and burns out his way out of the Sarlacc. And then it's like, well, how long did it take him? How long did it take him to climb back out? I'm like... We don't need a full episode to show us everything that happened. That's just a narrative shortcut that, okay, you know, he's resourceful and he's quick to recognize resources when they might not be readily or apparently available and uses it to his advantage as much as he can. But we also don't need to see, okay, how what else did he use with his armor? No, the simple act of showing us with the flamethrower, you know, oh, okay, his armor helps him get out. Now, he needed some oxygen as a pick-me-up because it's probably acidic down there and he can't breathe, but his armor helped him get out. They also have issues with, like, I've seen people have issues with, oh, legacy characters are not supposed to be, like, the main focus. I'm like, really? Because everybody really likes Boba Fett and a lot of people wanted to see more Boba Fett, yet now it's an issue. I don't get that. So you're saying they need to be treated like Luke Skywalker and... Leia Organa and Han Solo, where they're ancillary or secondary to the story, but they're not the main focus. I don't get that. Another thing is, I've seen the complaint that the first episode feels long. I actually really enjoyed the fact that it felt long because I felt like I was getting answers. Because it was, okay, I'm seeing these events, we're seeing a slow buildup, we're seeing um setup and some really good setup. I don't think you need to necessarily rush to it. I think the way the Book of Boba Fett is going with it is doing it in a really good way. And then I've seen the issues with, you know, Fennec sucking. 
like, oh, she's going to get backstory eventually. I'm like, yeah, she is, because now she's shown up in three different properties. The Bad Batch, The Mandalorian, and now The Book of Boba Fett. It's probably better that she gets a backstory fleshed out in The Book of Boba Fett than in any of the others. The Bad Batch is not about her, so she's ancillary and secondary there. In The Mandalorian, she's again, now she's a primary antagonist in one episode, but then again, when she comes back, she's secondary with regards to plot focus. Still a really cool character, but she's not the primary focus. The Book of Boba Fett allows for her to become a primary character and thus get much needed development. We have some cool things about her already, and so what the Bad Batch and the Mandalorian have done is in service of what will eventually be done in the Book of Boba Fett. So I don't understand why there's a complaint there. Also, it seems to me that the complaints I'm seeing are more akin to describing a bad season in which it's, it feels long and drawn out, no real payoffs, but it's one episode. So I don't get why we're condensing the criticism of a bad season of a show or just a bad one season show into one episode. We need to give it time. You need to let it breathe. You know, it's kind of like one. You let it breathe and then see what happens. It also seems to me that there's either a reluctance or disinterest in the Legends continuity. I feel that this is necessary to bring up because this is where Disney, because it's now the Star Wars brand and projects are being run through Dave Filoni and John Favreau, and they are pulling from the Legends continuity. This is why I think we need to be more open with canon and non-canon stuff. I understand a lot of the Legend stuff is really cool and it was canon, but it's not anymore. But Filoni and Favreau have come out and said, we're going to pull from it because we'd like to introduce it into the now Disney canon. Well, what's something that happened in the old Legends continuity? Oh, on three separate occasions, Boba Fett does escape the Sarlacc pit. So that is something that's not new. That's something that they are pulling from because it has happened and it's implied that it is possible for this character to do. And quick tangent, and I think this will be the last thing I'll really discuss. We really need to have more faith in Filoni. Here's why. Before Disney bought Star Wars, George Lucas, one of the last projects he ever did was The Clone Wars. Now, Filoni was the head writer and head guy alongside Lucas as the producer of this. Filoni has also come out and said that he's had many, many discussions with George Lucas as, while Filoni understands a lot about what Star Wars is, he still defers back to Lucas in order to try and get a better grasp of Star Wars because he might be like at 90%, but he needs Lucas to help clinch that last 10% of something he wants to do. So if we remove George Lucas, currently Filoni has the best grasp and understanding of what Star Wars is in general. Favreau, really good writer, I think. I think he's a really great writer and his directing skills can be on par with that as well. I think He's in the class right below Dave Filoni and understanding what Star Wars is. So having these two come on and being like, hey, we have all this Legends continuity. Why don't we just go for it and see what we can pull from it that might be interesting? Now, I'm not saying that they're trying to cater to older audiences. Now, part of the plan might be to do that because you want to renew your old audience while bringing in new viewers and younger audiences. However... That doesn't mean for something as big as Star Wars, you cannot pull from the backlog. You know, this is just my thought process, but 
let's say, for example, in Dragon Ball Z and now Dragon Ball Super, let's say they have a story arc where they want to do something like a Golden Frieza for Super Saiyans. Instead of necessarily having to come up with a brand new form, because in there, Frieza doesn't have God Cure or whatever, but basically that's just his natural evolution. Well, there is something that's non-canon in Dragon Ball Z that they can pull from, either just pull it directly or draw inspiration from, as an equivalent in that Super Saiyan 4. I'm not saying that they will do it or anything. I won't say, I'm not saying Toyotaro and them will do it. But what I am suggesting is, is when you have something as big and sprawling as that, you have the option to go into your backlog and reuse and recycle concepts. Actually, Broly's a better example of this. He got reused and recycled, and he's a lot more popular and a lot better character. You know, and, you know, side rant over, but I really think this episode did a really good job of answering questions and setting us up for the future of the Book of Boba Fett. Whether it's a one, two, or three season only show, you know, it's whatever. But I really like this episode because I think it helped us answer questions and establish new questions and plots going forward for who Boba Fett's going to be and how Fennec and all these other players are going to fit in. With that said, this has been a Bandolier Core production. Ben McHale, signing out.